Blog Talk Radio. What is going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome to another episode of Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network. Vinny Hardy here alongside Terry Brown in Louisville. I'm a tad bit hoarse, but I'm going to fight through it. It's going to sound hilarious. The vocal cords are struggling. TB, what's going on up in the Ville, my man? Nothing much. It's nice and chilly. It's all winter-like here in Louisville now. Hey, it it got December in a hurry, didn't it? I mean, we had a nice little, you know, warm days, and it was, you know, December the 1st, it was 60 degrees, and then, boom, all of a sudden it, it decided, you know, it's time to get cold. You got some snow right now? Do we have any snow? Yeah, you got any snow? No, we've got no snow, but it's it's cold. So that's that's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, my dad was down last night. Of course, uh, I'm from southeastern Kentucky, and uh, higher elevation up in the mountains a little bit, and he went back home this afternoon, but it's it's been snowing quite a bit. So we'll see if they get any accumulation and things like that. Um, we got a jam-packed show. Again, bear with me. My voice is struggling a little bit. Got a little hoarseness issue. Um, got a little bit of a cold, I guess, but more hoarse than anything. It's been feeling bad. It's a show of first TV uh, tonight. It's the first time that we'll have a guest on right off the bat, right at 6 o'clock. We got VJ Stanley of FrozenShorts.com. Going to come on and talk with us about uh, injury prevention in youth sports. Definitely want to hear what he's got to say. Uh, I immediately thought about you when talking with VJ because you are coaching some young ladies now, so I thought about that uh, immediately. Uh, it's also the first time that Kentucky will be playing a basketball game while we're on the air. Kentucky will play Columbia right. at 7, so we get to enjoy that and, and uh, interact and put our two cents worth on the game as it happens instead of Looking back at games that have been played and looking forward to games that will be played, we get a game on a Wednesday right in the middle of the show, so definitely looking forward to that. Um, but we want to get to our guest right now. He is kind enough to join us. Uh, as mentioned, Mr. VJ Stanley. He is the president and founder of Frozen Shorts, their website, frozenshorts.com, a sports injury prevention company. He's an author and a public speaker. And, VJ, you've been on the line for a minute. We appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. You're all the way Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry. How are you doing, sir? Well, thank you very much for having us on tonight. We really appreciate it. we got 12 inches of snow up here. <laughs> and more coming. And I don't hear any yeah. sympathy at all in your voice. <laughs> well, we appreciate the voice says, no, keep the snow. <laughs> yeah, we got another six inches coming overnight. Goodness gracious. That was my um, kind of one of my little icebreaker questions. I you know, saw you on Twitter, and of course, we're connected there on LinkedIn as well. And, you know, saw you there in Rochester, New York. And uh, we all saw what happened to Buffalo, and I know. You know, Buffalo, Rochester is just a hop, skip, and a jump, as we say down south, you know, down the road from Buffalo. So I was wondering if you guys were getting some of that same kind of stuff going on. 
Well, they got it coming from Lake Erie. Um, we're our, our house is about ten minutes from Lake Ontario. We're getting it from the east coast. Uh, they got it coming in west. They got about six, seven feet. Uh, we're probably going to get one to two feet. So that, that's crazy. Are you? Go ahead, TV. Well, I was just saying. I, one of my college roommates was from Buffalo, New York, specifically North Tonawanda. And he would just talk about the snow like uh, you folks are getting right now uh, because we had, like, I think two feet of snow, Vinny. I think it was 98 in Lexington. We had two feet of snow. And he said, man, if we shut down for two feet of snow, you know, we wouldn't do anything. So we would be close for the winter. Yeah. I remember just digging out his little Saturn, and we were all over the place when the city was shut down because he's like, you got to learn how to drive in snow or else you don't go for six months up here. We hope it's six months. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no. We had snow in May. <laughs> wow. that's unreal. Again, I hear no sympathy coming from Kentucky. I just want to put that out there for the audience. <laughs> Y'all. No. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, what um, I was a college hockey was a Division One athlete, was a college hockey coach. Uh, 
uh, head coach for 21 years and I retired. And in the meantime, my kids started getting into youth sports, and I just couldn't believe they were playing year-round. And I've always kept notes, and I started part-time helping people and, uh, you know, giving them suggestions and guiding them. And slowly but surely, you know, somebody would say, well, you should write a book about it. So I did. Uh, and, I, matter of fact, I just finished the rough draft for the second one. But what we do is we use science instead of tradition. We use psychology instead of theory. And we use data instead of hunches. Uh, we actually can have the data that says your child can get better at his sport, his or her sport, by not playing it. Uh, rest is a key component um, for a child's development. And we've got a bunch of interviews, probably I think we're up over 80 now on our website uh, with some experts and some doctors. I'm uh, going to get flown out to Las Vegas to speak to an international group of sports orthopedic surgeons. Um, last year alone, $1.25 was spent on overuse injuries for children, with 40% of it under the age of 14. Um, so we, we've got a real epidemic here. We're working with a bunch of pediatricians, and um, the object is to have fun. Uh, only 1% of all the kids that go to college um, play at the Division One level, and only half of them play for free. So enjoy the journey, what? kids. Absolutely. We're talking with VJ Stanley of ProMosports.com, president and founder of um, Sports Prevention, Interprevention in Youth Sports. What is the most most common injury that's kind of the most prevalent, VJ, that you deal with? Is it, is it football? Is it literally coaches trying to get kids to throw curveballs to some? What is it that kind of stands out the most for young kids who are getting hurt? Well, injury has the severe ones with the concussions, and I had eight of them. That's what ended my career at at, uh, at Clarkson. I had two concussions in a week, my seventh and eighth. Um, for girls, it's really knee injuries with soccer and uh, concussions. Uh, we're working with one, probably the number three guy in the country, Jeff Bazarian. Um, but there are way more injuries in you know other sports, uh, Vinny, because. What is happening is the kids play year-round. They wear down. They wear out. And it's no different than your voice today. The more you use the, your voice, the worse it's going to get. It's not going to get better. Um, so what we have is these people pushing these kids, parents and coaches and organizations, and actually in a race that doesn't exist. And they get into well, it because there's not many adults or micro-professional athletes. Right, and... My wife, the lovely Mrs. TB, uh, Vinny, uh, she is a physical therapist uh, by trade, so we've been very cautious with our girls. I've got a 5-year-old and an uh, 8-year-old, and we, we kind of space out what they do. Uh, yes, we critical. We don't want to be you know, sports-specific all year round. Uh, they do soccer. Right now we're doing basketball. So, you know, that's kind of the, the key, key thing we try to do is not have them going year-round. Phenomenal. We know uh, the Olympic Committee in uh, Colorado Springs, the old Air Force base there, what they actually did is the athletes were tired, and so they changed the color of the walls, they changed the curtains to dark, they lowered the temperature in the rooms, they put in um, pillow-top mattresses, and they found that the body emits uh, a natural HGH hormone 
uh, not the likes of Clemens and Sosa, allegedly. Um, <laughs> and uh, the kid, the athletes, they can actually uh, quant- we can actually have the data and quantify that they play better and they get better faster. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. It, it, do you think that it's it's kind of incumbent on the parents to kind of step up and, and be there for the the kids? Because what I've found is uh, there's a lot of parents that their kid is the next LeBron James on the basketball court, or their kid yeah. is the next, you know, Tim Howard, you know, on the soccer mm-hmm. field. And, you know, I, I see him, put, you know, if a kid falls down or twists an ankle or something, you know, it's kind of that, you know, rub some dirt on it and, and keep it going. And, you know, when kids are hurt, they're hurt, right? Yes. Toughness refers to a kid staying after school and studying for an exam. Uh, character refers to taking care of a kid who's maybe uh, ostracized from your group if you're the big man or big girl on campus. Uh, we, we've gotten away from the sense of community into this idea that it's all about winning. And, uh, by the way, nobody knows how to win. Right, and, and that's my thing, you know, when I'm working with my kids, because as Vinny said, I, I'm coaching uh, my oldest basketball, and I'm just trying to teach basic skills. If we win, fine, but I'm just trying to have some fun, you know, how to dribble, how to pass, you know, how to move without the basketball. And I exactly. think that's lacking as well as, you know, injury prevention at the, the youth level. Exactly. So and that's what we're trying to say is we're trying to calm only <clears> – <throat> 10% of the kids that are, quote, unquote, the best at 10 are the best at 18. Puberty changes everything. So what we're trying to do is calm everybody down. Uh, I just want to uh, tell a little story about John Calipari, if I can, uh, to your listeners. I believe he's, if not the greatest college basketball coach right now, he's certainly in the conversation. But this guy doesn't know how to win. Now, this is a paid professional, and he knows that winning is a destination, and I'll prove it to your listeners right now. Three seasons ago, Kentucky won the national championship. Two seasons ago, he didn't even make the tournament. So am I to believe that John Calipari forgot how to win over the the summer? And then last season, miraculously again, he remembered how to win. And then he got all the way to the final game. Oh, my gosh, he forgot how to win again. The last game, what are the odds? So you see, it's a journey. People don't know how to win. They don't know how to teach it. I'm sure if either one of you are athletes, you've played in games where you were really good and lost, and you also played poorly and won. So right. now we have a thing where winning, we don't know how to do it, we don't know how to teach it, and we don't know what it means. So let's embrace the journey and embrace the fact that they're children and let them be kids and have them do multiple sports. Uh, your children, let's just let's use you for an example. How many times do your kids change their mind on what they want to do in a day, in an hour? <laughs> well, I've got two girls, so, uh, I mean, I can't even keep track of how many times they change their mind about anything. I mean, they'll change their mind about what they're wearing as they're getting dressed. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's, Just because you specialize doesn't mean you're specialized. Special. It's all about balance, gentlemen. No. Um, What's up with com. Um, Cast Talk with Penny Terry on the Brother Hunt Radio Network. You just referenced some stats from your most recent post on Monday, and it's entitled Adulting Kids 
which I, that's neat in itself, that the phrase, because that's what's going on a lot, adulting kids, speeding up the process <laughs> of them growing up. Uh, you referenced the fact about 10% of kids uh, who are the best at age 12 aren't the best at age 18. You start the post uh, with you responding uh, to a coach's complaint about equal play for all kids pre uh, pubescent. How is it going? How how do you continue to go about to change that culture? How is that battle going? Changing the old guard, changing the mindset. Terry asked a question similar to that, but this is you with the coach, and he's complaining, and you know the whole thing about playing year round, playing too much. And, and it's, it's, explain some more in detail about that talk about how kids are being adulted in the mindset that you're kind of trying to change. All right, again, back to the injuries. They're both what we're trying to stop. They're both mental and physical. 85% of the people that lose their jobs, other than massive layoffs, lose them because they don't get along with other people. When you get up to the Division One level, as Patino, uh, as Calipari, everybody's good. So you have to be, it's incumbent that you be a great teammate. See, kids aren't mini-adults, and they're not micro-professional athletes, and they're certainly not remote-controlled robots attached to adults' personal joysticks and status seekers. So if you have inter-team competition and you allow these kids to play and you allow them to get better because nobody gets better sitting on the bench. So now what you have is adults managing games instead of developing children. And the results? 70% 70% of them quit by the time they're 13. 30% of the kids born after the year 2000 are going to have type 2 diabetes or headed towards it. And obesity is increased by 40%. See, what, what, what they all say, this is the way it's been, guys. No, it's not. It's only been this way for 40 years. It's like we say the athletes are bigger, stronger, and faster. And I, and I agree with that completely. But it's impossible that it's genetic because the 40 years is only a microsecond of a nanosecond of a millisecond in the history of the world. So what we say is calm down, play for fun, get the kids equal play. Remember that kid that really sucked and that got good because he got a time, he got his turn to play or she got her turn to play. And if everybody goes there and has fun, and now I can get into the, the medical part of it, then we know the cortisol and the amygdala and all these things in the brain start to work properly. And these kids really get better by doing our system. And they can actually go to our website, and we, we did a football one, and we did a basketball one. We've done it actually in every sport, but we videotaped. And they can see, we gave football kids, Pop Warner, a minute of instruction, brought in a high school volleyball player and a high school ba- uh, soccer player to ref. They were averaging 9 to 16 plays in a 20-minute half. They followed the frozen shorts learning method. They ran 21 plays. You guys tell me who's going to get better. You, I mean, you were you were spot on right there, and, uh, and I think that's what we're kind of losing sight of. Uh, as we're talking, I remember there was a HBO documentary uh, about <laughs> overbearing parents and, and, and Friday Night Tights, it, and it just—I mean, some of the stuff it just breaks your heart. Uh, I mean, my thing is, I'm a huge basketball fan, so I've told my wife if I'm going overboard. You know, you've got to pull me back a little bit because I want this to be fun. I don't want it to be where they're doing it to make me happy. I just want them to have fun. You know, if they never play basketball after this year or not, I just want them to have fun and do it. I mean, that's that's my goal. But I think for so many people, that's, you know, that's not it. You know, their kid's got to be the star. Their kid's got to 
do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, these these kids are eight. <laughs> They've got a long time to, to figure out what they want to be. And that's where the injuries are coming from. We're seeing knees and shoulders and ankles, and um, it, it's just unbelievable. And we know, or let's just use football because it's easy. The last four quarterbacks in last year's AFC-NFC championship game, uh, Brady, Kaepernick, and Wilson, and Peyton Manning. Everyone but Peyton Manning got drafted to play baseball. And Peyton Manning played Legion ball all the way through high school and through the summer. So the idea is, and Dr. James Andrews has said, help is the key component. And so all we're doing is embracing the fact that they're children. Getting back to the way we did it, uh, we're, we call it bringing the backyard back. Instead of adulting the kids and then managing games and yelling at them, but you guys, you guys got your own show. What if the boss came in and started yelling instructions to you for an hour? Well, of course you'd right. up and you wouldn't do as good. Well, you guys are pros. Just think how it's affecting the kids. It's, right. see, we're already competitive. What, what they're trying to do is this adulting thing where, where kids, uh, you know, they, they've got to get better and they've got to get stronger and, and, you know, only the strong survive. Well, only the strong survive meant a community. It's never meant an individual. Look it up in the dictionary. It's always been that. I mean, I got degrees in history, philosophy, and psychology. This is a, you know, this is a new thing based on money. And if you let the kids be kids, and only one percent are going to get get there anyway. So if you let these kids just be kids and let them have fun, they'll figure things out. I mean, you said you got two daughters. Do you want the teacher give them the answers to the test when they're taking a test? No, I mean they got to. Well, then why are we doing it when we're coaching them? Exactly. Let them play. Right. Now they'll be relaxed. They won't be tense, and they won't. And the injury rate will drop. I mean, if these guys aren't flying me out to talk to this international group of surgeons, who isn't flying me out to Vegas because I'm just another pretty face. Even though I have to admit, I have a face made for radio. <laughs> I have similar thoughts. I've got two boys, a little bit younger than the teenage girls. But you talk about, you know, that competitive nature, that's natural. i got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and they automatically want to outdo each other. The little one thinks he's the biggest, the big one, and it's the, no, you didn't, I did it, I did it better already. So you don't need that getting filtered down from grown-ups because it's already comes at a young age. we got to kind of tone it down now. All right, quit, quit fussing with one another, quit trying to outdo each other all the time. But like you said, the last thing you need is parents fueling that fire when they're, you know, barely out of diapers and barely in elementary school. And it slows the development. It actually impedes it. We know chemically that they're nerve endings. I mean, there's a real physiological. And I'll ask you this about your two-year-old. Tell your audience, when's the last time she looked you right in the eye and, or your wife and said, Dad, Mom, I can do it. Let me do it myself. Right. Oh, yeah. he, he's getting independent already. I mean, you know, he wants to, you know, the fork, eating, and you know how it is when little ones eat. I mean, we've seen pictures of ourselves that our parents still have with food all over us. So, he's, you know, yeah. he wants the food. He wants the fork. He wants to, you know, that's already there, too. And, you know, so as you start walking and talking, it's there. 
It's just so it, it, let's just say you guys and I were playing a pickup game, and I'm old and I'm slow, so we're going to play side to side. I don't care what you guys say. And uh, all of a sudden, five minutes in, you're 15 points up. Well, you come to me and say, BJ, look, why don't I give you Eddie and Don? And you say, you know, why don't you give me Dante and Charles? And then the next thing you say is, let's start over. Because we're already competitive. But now we're starting to try and win when we don't know what it means or how to do it. And so the kids get confused. You give them a ball and let them play, they'll play for hours. Because that's what we do. They're kids. And so now they tense up. They look at the kid makes three decisions a second on the field. Now the parents yelling, the coach is yelling, and for some reason this game, this meaningless game, is important. And now he or she tenses up. They make the mistake. They get pulled. They get nervous. They get tight. You know nobody plays well. You know this is a brand new phenomenon over the next over the last thirty years, and the kids are getting injured and they're you know and they're they're leaving. And let me be clear: there's no such thing as an eight-year-old athlete. There's a kid who's closest to the cutoff date, and maybe she, her father or mother or grandparents, because sometimes genetics skip, had some athletic ability. But that's it. You know, an athlete is a varsity, uh, starting at a high school varsity. So let's let them be kids. And, you know, you know, instead of making an exclusive thing, let's make it an inclusive thing. And that's what we're doing. That makes a lot of sense. Now, where all are you? Uh, headed to in the next little bit, BJ. I mean, you, you go all over the place. You, you've written books. You do public speaking. What's next on the agenda as you continue to go uh, and try to get the message out on changing the mindset of youth sports? Well, what we re- yeah, um, I was just talked for USA Hockey. Uh, they're level four. Uh, my next one, I'm going to do a couple of rotaries. Um, and then I've got, uh, I, I do some individual mentoring, and we're going to do some of that. Um, and then the next big thing is Vegas. i got another one where I'm speaking to. I, last uh, spring I spoke to the New York State Athletic Directors. And slowly but surely, uh, you know, we're, we're moving in, in directions. But the most important thing that we tell people over and over again is, is let's embrace the fact that they're children. You know, you can't microwave that thing. It, it's got to be slow-cooked. And they're getting injured, and, and they're rebelling. And you know w- what we say is, kids rebel anyway. So let's let's make sure that we embrace that thing and allow them to do different things and find their own path. I, I use this expression with you guys: if if you take your kids bowling to the, with the bumpers, you know, when they were little, and they throw the ball down, the bumper bangs the ball back into the middle. You don't take the ball and the kid out of that lane and put them in your lane. And if the ball goes down the middle, you leave them alone. You know, we say how smart our kids are, but then we keep giving them instructions. Let, let's let them figure it out. If the world is changing, they've got to be able to do that. And, again, guys, that's where the mental breakdown comes. They get tense, and then they, you know, they try too hard or they try too much. They play too much, and they get hurt. Now, I know there's cases very kids very parents very, but if we kind of paint it with a broad brush for what you're talking about, maybe there's – this is right, maybe it's wrong, that's why I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> is, you know, former Raiders QB, USC QB, Tom Marinovich, is he kind of a classic case of that, where he started way too young? He, he, rebelled. he was on it. Listen, if you guys can ever get in touch with Peter Berg, I'm trying to get a hold of that gentleman. Uh, he has that HBO special. Uh, yeah, he had Marinovich on there, and he's, he's an absolute classic case. He was trained to be uh-huh. a quarterback. Yeah. 
there's a lot of guys in this also. Let's be clear. There's luck involved. You know, it, it, yeah. you can't program this. So, but again, it, the kids get hurt. I think people see, you know, the the video of Tiger Woods, you know, on that show when he was two or three or whatever, and and they think, hey, if I do that, then, uh, you know, my kid can be the next one. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a, as you said, the odds are so stacked against you, you know, let the kids have fun. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, my wife and I, our philosophy, sports and everything, your kids are only kids for a short, short window. Bingo. There's only that that small window when they're actually, you know, kids. Why speed that up? Because once it's gone, it's gone. And they're resenting it. We're seeing 25, 26, 27-year-old kids. They want nothing to do with their parents. We, we're watching kids, guys, go to college purposely, colleges purposely, that don't have their sport. How about that? Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that speaks volumes. You know, and, and listen, uh, congratulations to Tiger Woods. Uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. But I wouldn't want my son to be him. A-Rod would want my son to be him. I want my son to be balanced. I want him to be in my daughter. I, You know, I want him to be ready. Eddie Wambach the best, well, one of the two best soccer players in the world, was a high school basketball star. So you got to rest the muscles. you got to rest the brain. And the other thing is people don't understand is that you've got to let these kids interact with different kids of different abilities so that they're not always the best kid, that they're always with, not with the same parent because that's what they're going to be getting in life. And they've got to be, we say how fast this world is changing, but we're not teaching them coping skills. And, and, and that, yeah, and that's right on to like more than sports. I mean, uh, you know, kids, they have to figure out how to lose. They've got to have frustrations. They've got to have all these these coping skills. And as parents, we're taking that away from them. You know, you, you can't go to your job and you get a you know a little certificate for just for uh, you know showing up. I mean, you've got to oh, you've got no to do something. Oh my god! <laughs> oh Lord, don't get me started on that. Now, look, <laughs> most of us, most of us learn from our mistakes. Now, listen, I've been married for 25 years. I love my wife more now than the day I married her. Uh, so I understand, because I'm a guy, I understand what it's like to make mistakes and lose. But I'm learning. I don't know how well it's going, but she tells me, happy <laughs> wife, happy life. So I think it's going pretty well. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that on that phrase right there. That's the true accuse. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, my yeah. wife is, a, you know, she gets down, she's a special ed second grade teacher. She's a Pied Piper with these kids, but, you know, she encourages them. She, you know, she doesn't give them the answer. She lets them, you know, make mistakes. And people need to understand there's a huge difference between mistakes and failure. Everybody makes mistakes. And when a kid makes a mistake, it doesn't mean he's failing or she's failing. It just means she made a mistake. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been great stuff, VJ. We sure appreciate you coming on with us and, and dispensing that knowledge to us, our listeners, and everybody that you talk to in Vegas, and all the stops you make. I mean, you're doing great stuff. And com at VJJ Stanley on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to definitely get you on again. Appreciate you reaching out to us. 
and, and wanting to come on. We definitely love having you. Thanks for having us on there. And one thing, if you could do me a favor, if anybody of your audience or you guys happen to run into Peter Berg, he knows who we are. Um, He's the guy who does the HBO special. He was on with Todd Marinovich and uh, did the Friday Night Tikes. We want to speak to this band. We've sent him a note. Uh, We've offered to send him a book. We've talked, uh, we've emailed with one of his directors. So uh, that's the only thing I ask from this and the other, actually two things. And then please let the kids have fun. It's healthier for them. Let them enjoy the journey. Well, we certainly sure. appreciate it. And, and there's, we'd love to have you back on because this is a subject, like I said, kind of near and dear to the both of us with kids coming up and playing sports. And uh, we need to bang that drum a whole lot louder. We'd love to be on again. Yeah. We're, we're very appreciative that you had us on this once. And if, if we're fortunate enough and you like what we had to say, we'd love to be back. All right. Thank hey, you very much. Good. Thank you so much, PJ. Have a great weekend. And uh, my son and I are big uh, SEC football fans. We just want to say roll tide. That's right. All right. That's right. There you go. And, y'all, stay warm up there in Rochester. And we are very sorry. We're very sorry. I want some sun. I want that to melt. We are sympathetic. Oh, thank you. That's the first time I've actually heard it, but uh, okay. (laughs) Thank you so much, PJ. All righty, guys. Good night. Good night. Yes, thank you. That was PJ. That was PJ Family, FrozenShorts.com. He's the president and founder of Duke Sports Injury Prevention, and he was bringing it deep And like you said, that's Got a dang mindset from the grown-ups and want to be the help kids, want the kids to be helped, and and not see children getting injured. You got to change the adults' minds and the coaches' minds. Uh, he's doing his best to do that. Got a great website, uh, and I appreciate him coming on and talking with us about that. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted out the, the website. We'll make sure that uh, that the catch talk does the same because it's it, it's a good. It's a good thing. It's a conversation we need to have. Uh, you know, just for example, this past weekend, uh, mm-hmm. my daughter's team, we won. And we played this team. Man, they've got matching warm-ups. They've got, you know, the coach has his dry race board drawing up plays. They've got they've got all this uh, stuff looking like pro team, but uh, you know, my thing is, if you, if you want all that till you get to, you know, high school for your matching form, you know, that kind of thing, we're just out here having fun. You know, I said, you know, I don't care what shorts you're wearing, what shoes you got on. We're just, you know, uh, we're not a professional team. This is this is, this is is the, the, the small time, if you will. So uh, definitely uh, we need to have him back on and, and, and keep talking about that. Most definitely. Uh it's definitely good having them on, and we enjoyed that conversation. Um, yeah, so that was the first time uh, we had a, a guest right off the bat. We, we appreciate that coming on uh, and taking the time and wishing him well with all the speaking, speaking engagement he has in the near future, too. Um, we got tons of stuff, as always, to get to. Um, like we like we mentioned at the beginning, Kentucky's got a game in a half an hour. 
you right. were at the last game. You were at the last game again, right? Where you at? Um, where you were up again? Yes, no, I was at for the EKU game. Yeah, I was at the EKU game. Yes. And yeah, I mean, and you I think you tweeted out that maybe Rupp was kind of study hall like. What was? Well, and a lot of people, and we've seen and heard that before, but. Um, you know, everybody just kind of sitting on their hands, even more than normal. Is that kind of what's going on? Well, I mean, it, it, it's not unusual for Rupp to be quiet. I mean, it, it is right. what it is. We're not going to change the way the seating is, even, you know, if there's a new Rupp or revamped Rupp. Uh, but it, it, it it's a very quiet environment for a non-big game. For a big game, you know, for Texas, you could hear it on the television, but for EKU, when the game really isn't in doubt, the crowd is very polite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I, at this point, my thing is we can, as Kentucky fans, we can talk until we're blue in the face about Rupp needs to be louder. Rupp is what it is. Uh, you know, it's been that way since 76. It, it's just going to keep being that way. And that's fine, you know. But for the big games, uh, I don't think there's a better better environment for it. You know, I remember uh, that 2003 game against Florida. I mean, that crowd just willed the cast to that unbelievable uh, performance. So uh, the crowd, it is what it is. I mean, the they cheer at the appropriate times. Uh, the loudest cheer was for Andrew Harrison's three to the one to keep the streak going. Because uh, that's been yeah. the issue the last couple of games is a three-point streak. You know, that, that first three of the game not coming until, you know, roughly uh, less than three minutes left in the game. So, you know, as I wrote about in my write-up on Wildcat Blue Nation, I mean, that was the the only real drama of the night. Uh, but it's always good to go back to uh, to go to Rupp Arena. I never want to get to the point where it's, uh, you know, kind of whatever, whatever. It's It's always special when you get a chance to go. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I agree with that 100%. Columbia comes in tonight. Uh, they kind of are, are a perimeter team like EKU. So Kentucky will again have to kind of make sure they're tightening things up as they guard the three. Um, so uh, we'll have to give predictions before 7 o'clock hits because this is the first time, as we mentioned, uh, we'll be able to watch a game while we do the show. So that's going to be fun. Um, they did. I mean, you know, EKU missed a lot of threes. Kentucky locked them down, just like they have everybody else. Uh, I was talking with my dad the other day. I mean, they're smothering people, and you know, we know the offense is going to continue to come along. As you know, it hasn't really clicked. You know, with a lot of firepower yet, but defensively, you know, in my opinion, as great as they are, and as much as they just you know, squelch teams and, and, you know, stifle them. They're so athletic. I'm not saying they're not playing hard, but they're making this look easy. They're making shutting these teams down look easy. And, I mean, wait till they gel even more where, you know, they'll know where everybody is, rotation will get better. They can, I mean, they can be that much more uh, intimidating defensively, and that's what is really kind of mind-boggling. 
mind blowing to me. Yeah, I certainly agree. Uh, and I tweeted this out during the game because I watched Poitras make a play that was, uh, and I think you really have to look at them from a different angle, not just uh, you know from the television angle. You really have to kind of get an angled down look to see how much ground these guys covered defensively. I mean, the uh, there was plenty of times during the EKU game where you think, okay, the guy you know, beats the defender off the dribble for EKU and he's driving and the defense has recovered and that gap closes so quickly. Uh, it's just amazing. Not only are these guys big and tall, they're quick. They change direction. I mean, uh, there was a couple of times, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein, Marcus Lee, even Carl Towns, you know, because Kyle likes to switch everything on defense, those guys ended up on the perimeter and held their own. You know, uh, Towns was out there. The defender or the point guard for EKU drove by him, but he's big enough and quick enough to recover where he still is intimidating that layup. That's what makes this team difficult. Uh, you know, watching the Louisville-Indiana game, you know, Louisville's got its its half-court press and, and, and that kind of thing, but in the – or full-court press, excuse me, but – as far as half-court defense, this team is smothered. And as you kind of alluded to, it's only going to get better. I mean, they're nowhere near where they will be in March. So uh, offensively, still a work in progress. I think they're getting better in the half-court offense. But defensively, uh, even just relying on their natural talent is is phenomenal right now. Yeah, and – you were there, so, I mean, you have a better viewpoint. Um, and, of course, the competition level will, you know, get better against than it was the other night against Eastern Kentucky. Uh, do you say maybe were there still some open looks that Eastern guys that if they didn't make them, but were there still maybe some open looks that they got that even a few weeks from now teams might not even get? That was kind of, I was like, oh, that was an open look. He missed it, but it was a good look. Uh, there, I mean, I yeah. Like, I mean, I, I like down the road, yeah. there will be teams that won't even get those looks. CK, you got some clean looks. And I think that will be even something that won't even happen down the road. They'll even reduce some of those, the amount of clean looks that teams get. Well, and and, and that's the thing. I think that the, the guard. Uh, you know, the Harrisons and, and Booker and, and Euless on the perimeter, I, I think uh, particularly the big guys, uh, the way the, the front line is playing, they can crowd those shooters and move them off the, off the, the line a little bit more uh, and, and pressure a little bit because you've got your, your defensive rotation on the front line that can cover up your mistakes. I mean, that was the, the key, I think, in, in 2012, is that Marcus Teague, Ron Lamb, you know, on the perimeter, MKG, they could hound you up front because if you did beat them, you know who was back there patrolling the paint and covering up a lot of ground. And this team can also do that as well. You've got some big guards, or when Euless comes out there, you've got somebody that can stay in the uh, opposition's hit pocket, you know, use them. You know, pressure the ball. Push them out farther and farther. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, of course,
players, you know, you take that one game at a time, <clears throat> you know, mentality. Uh, we as fans and media can look ahead. And of course, North Carolina comes to town Saturday. What did you make of the little back and forth columns with uh, John Clay of the Herald Leader and Andrew Carter of the Charlotte Observer? Well, I mean, here's my thing on North Carolina. I, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. Uh, All right. Because I've, I've written about this and, I, and I've talked about this for years, decades, going way, way back to before Dean Smith. All North Carolina talked about is the fact that they do things the right way. It's always all you've always heard about is the Carolina family and and the right way of doing things uh, because it is an elite public un- university uh, academically. You know they kind of piggyback on that that they can have successful basketball and be an elite university and they do things the right way. Only what we have found out in the last year or so, the right way has cut a few corners. The right way has awarded degrees to people that haven't earned them. The right way has has really more than, I think, of these kind of uh, crises or situations at other universities has really warped what education is all about. It's one thing for you know Ohio State the tattoos for the uh you know tattoos for garments you know all the stuff that Miami went through in the 80s uh Reggie Bush and USC uh even what is taking place you know at UK extra benefits that's one thing but when you go out of your way to cheat the academic system to tarnish the entire university that's a whole nother level so what we have here are these these Carolina fans that have been looking down their noses, particularly at Kentucky, portraying us as these country bumpkins and being so consumed with the basketball team to skirt the rules. And now we have this situation going back 30-plus years to Dean Smith of fake classes, fake grades, fake diplomas. Uh I, I, they, they've got nothing to say. I, I'm not going to listen to anything a Carolina fan has got to say to me because look what you have going on right now. Just just, just deal with that and don't worry about what we're doing in Lexington. And, and now I'm off my soapbox. And Roy Williams, I'm trying to play the I don't know card. That can't be right either. How, I mean, that's that's another thing too to add to it. He's he had to know as well. There's no way he couldn't know, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the the thing is, athletes, particularly high profile athletes, they're they're being watched. They're being monitored. And for a coach to say, "Well, I don't know what's going on," it's because you don't want to know. You know, it's it's like a politician that kind of insulates himself from what somebody on his staff may do. So maybe Roy Williams didn't know exactly what was going on, but he should have known. And if we're going to hold, you know, the NCAA is going to hold, uh, you know, wants to hold Cal responsible for what happened 
with Marcus Camby signing with an agent and with the ACT discrepancy with Derrick Rose, two things to which, honestly, he's limited uh, on his control. You know, these guys were on campus. As a coach, you have to know. You you just you have to know these things. So I'd just be interested to see what will happen with the uh, NCAA investigation. I mean, I think they've got to they've got to drop the hammer. I mean, this is this is huge. Yeah, that's I I believe that when I see it. You know, thinking they have to drop it and them dropping it, they're two different things. We'll see. You know, with it being such a high-profile institution, <laughs> I, I believe that when I see it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> with the NCAA is so flighty and unpredictable. You know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's what everybody's wanting to see: how they handle this one. Yeah, if, if the NCAA doesn't do something, then. It, we may not even may as well not even have an NCA or have any kind of oversight for college athletics. Just make it the wild, wild west, and just let programs do what they want to do. If the NCA is not going to do anything, I think that's where we end up. Right, right, and it's it's on such shaky ground anyway. Uh, I mean, it's just you know they've lost credibility case by case, you know, the credibility is on such thin ice. Yes, anyway, everybody looks at the NCAA, you know, with that little, you know, sideways look, you know, kind of give them a stink eye because, you know, you don't know what they're going to do. They're inconsistent, and, and a lot of these rules are outdated. You know, they come down on something so minuscule, and then they turn blind eyes to, you know, glaring violations and, you know, misdeeds. So, We'll see what they do. It's a mess, and it's, it'd be interesting to see what becomes of that for sure. Oh, let's go ahead and get our little predictions in. We got a couple of tweets in for scores um, for Kentucky and Columbia. Let's see. We got from Michelle. She's at uh, Kentucky 82, Columbia 55. Mark Haggard. He's really got the offense getting on track. He went 101 to 47. Kentucky uh, about to tip off here in a little bit on ESPN two. Um, what kind of score you got going on tonight, Mister TV Brown? Well, hot tub, well, hot tub there tonight, my man. Yeah, hot the hot tub, tub hot dog heavy is back. So uh, <laughs> for the winter months, a little something right, right. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> We we got a cabin this past weekend, so we we tore the hot tub up. It was it was cold <laughs> and chilly out in the mountains up there in Gatlinburg. So yeah, hot tub is very appropriate for this time of year. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I think I think the cats will get into the uh, 80s. So I will say 82 uh, to about 46, 47. I, I think they they kind of we get another half of a team scoring less than 20, I think that's good. I think that uh, – now, remember, Booker and Eulis are both out for tonight's game. So I think that kind of changes a little thing. So we'll see uh, a little more of uh, Hawkins, who 
played really well against Eastern Kentucky. I think six assists without a turnover. So he played really, really well. And I think this is a good game uh, for Derek Willis to kind of get get some run. Uh, you know, he just needs to see the ball go through the net. He hit a three uh, against EKU, so he needs to have some some quality minutes as, as well. So I think they get it going. Um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns uh, said before the Eastern game that he wanted to be more aggressive. And while that's good news for us, I'm not sure it's good news for our opponents because, I mean, it's it's absolutely uh, insane how good this kid is. He even hit a three uh, the other night. So uh, even with Booker and Euless being out, you know, this team is ridiculously deep. Uh, I won't say that we won't miss them, but I think we can still go out and handle and handle business. Yeah, um, and I wrote my last article. I had to, you know, I gave Carl Town some love because, you know, he tweeted out before the game that he was there, he was going to be a different player, and you know he went out and backed it up. And uh, I kind of I had to highlight the fact that he made the three on my piece on my Happy Nation. Uh, the behind-the-back dribble when he got the steal, you know, yeah. the, EKU, the EKU defender uh, looked like a bull, you know, getting played by the Matador. He just knew he had a steal because, hey, it's a big guy trying to dribble up the court. I'm going to go pick his pocket real quick. Oh, no, I'm not. He just went behind the back on me. And, you know, I'm standing here looking silly. And that's what Carl did to him. So that was, you know, that was unbelievable. You know, he was, he was finishing the live like always. He finished that one. With the dude just hanging on his arm for the end one. So, you know, that aggressive that you're talking about, uh, he had that little mean look. He was, he was frowning. He had that scowl going. So, yeah, he was he was uh, coming to play. So, yeah, uh, when he's in that mode, it is trouble for everybody else. It's good news for Kentucky fans. Um, I'm going to go Kentucky 84, Columbia 58. Uh, I think, you know, they will smother them in the first half, but I'm going to give Columbia maybe knocking down a few more threes than EKU did. Uh, EKU went down to 49, so I'll give Columbia 58. Uh, if they maybe get a few more buckets in the second half, once it's out of hand, maybe get a few shots to go down. So, yeah, I'll go 84 to 58 for my sport. So, we're right there together. You had 82, I got 184. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens it's about that time. And even with the guys out, I mean, we've seen Porches out for a game or two. Uh, we've seen some guys miss here and there. And like you said, the depth just covers it up. You know, you just kind of, you know, slide and adjust and move things around a little bit, tinker with the reinforcements, so to speak, and they continue to go out and handle business. Are you there, Vinny? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Did I lose you? Okay, you just kind of broke up. What were, what were you saying? Uh, I, I picked 84 to 58 for the score. And even though, you know, they got a couple guys out tonight, I, I agree with you. Uh, we've seen, you know, guys miss some games before. You know, Portress, Portress has been out a little bit in the past. And, you know, guys kind of adjust and slide over to depth makes up for, you know, when a couple guys aren't able to go out and play. Uh, so 
I give Columbia credit. That I think they'll knock down a few more threes than EKU did, and they'll get to 58 points tonight. I'm kicking Kentucky 84, Columbia 58. Well, that that sounds good to me. It'll be another another big game. And we're we're both right there offensively. If you got them scoring 82, I got them scoring 84. So yeah, it will be a, another big game, and then they can put their entire focus on North Carolina. You know, get this one out of the way, and then get ready. You know, for the first of three big non-conference games with North Carolina coming in on Saturday. While we wait for tip-off, you know, I mentioned to you that I would create a soapbox. I'm going to kind of manufacture a soapbox for you. I'm going to put it on a tee for you right in your wheelhouse where if you want to hit the soapbox mode again, you can. And that, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen you tweet at Colin Cowherd before about John Wall. Everybody saw John get emotional last night after the win. You know, with the loss of the little girl there you know, succumbed to cancer. You know, for all that Colin did, continue to go after him on the John Wall dance. Let me just let you just have the floor, because I know you've seen that before. I saw some people tweeting that Colin is transgender. Apologize a long time ago. Colin needs to own it, you know, and, and step back from quit messing with Wall like he's done on the show so much. Let me just kind of lob that one to you and, and let you knock it out of the park. <laughs> Well, here's 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 my thought on that. Uh, ESPN, uh, for all the good that it does and, and and everything, you know, with ESPN one to ESPN U, ESPN News, that and, and you know, being twenty four hours, that is a lot of content time to fill. Uh, as far as live broadcasts, I don't think there's an outfit better than than what ESPN brings to the table. But to fill some of the game or some of the time when the games aren't being played, they've had they, they manufacture debates and they give us these hypotheticals that lead to discussions like can the Kentucky Wildcats beat the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers? What was once what you would talk about with your buddies or you get an argument with at a bar is now being discussed in front of a national audience. So to keep that edge, they have to get guys like Colin Cowherd, like Skip Bayless, like Stephen A. Smith, and not only do they have to be loud, but they have to make these wild proclamations. They have to make themselves the story. Uh, There's a great article, and I need to find it to tweet it out, that talks about, you know, how... Uh, Skip Bayless went after LeBron, which is one thing because LeBron, you know, he's he's the best right now, although Anthony Davis is on his tail. But for whatever reason, Colin Calvert jumped on John Wall because he did the Dougie for 30 seconds before his first home game of his rookie year. And he went on such a ridiculous tangent about it, he brought up, the fact that John Wall's father, who had died, seemingly that made him a poor choice to be a team leader because he didn't have a father figure. And no matter what John Wall did, 
it wasn't quite good enough. Well, fast forward it a couple of years later, and here we are. You know, uh, Wall made it to the last round of cutoffs before Team USA. He got the uh, Washington franchise into the second round of the uh, NBA playoffs for the first time in 30 years. And then you see he does things like befriend the, the sick girl with, with cancer who, uh, you know, honestly, Kentucky fans, we know what a big heart he has, you know, visiting kids at the U.K. hospital. So that's not a surprise to us. It may be nationally, but we know what kind of person he is and what he's done. So now Wall has done the on-the-court things that you really can't take away from, and you see that he's doing the off-the-court things that you can't take away from. So now, yeah, Colin Cowherd looks he looks like an ass, even more than usual. And he did the half-apology kind of thing, never really saying I'm sorry or I was wrong, but basically insinuating, yeah, you know, uh, I kind of had something with this maturation process. No, you didn't. No, you did not. Uh, you know, and I've said this before, and I will keep saying it. Cal brings in great young men who happen to play basketball very well. When you look at all the top-rated players that he's had, including this year's team, they buy into what he's selling on the court and off the court. And it's just ridiculous uh, to just think that these guys, these national guys, can just bash these guys, these players, and and they don't they don't know anything about them. It's just to be the loudest, most vocal, most antagonistic person in the room, and that's unfortunately what ESPN is selling these days. Yeah, and and first first take is this one I can't I can't get into that one I can't I, I can't sit and watch those without you know PG out around the horn. That's cool. Uh, first take is just over the top for me. Uh, you know, we tip off no score, and Kentucky gets a preview of the baby blue tonight with Columbia. That they'll see Saturday with North Carolina. They got you know similar uniform. Um, but yeah, I, you know, just <clears throat> you can tell they're just sensationalizing. You know, with Stephen A. and Skip. You know, Stephen A. by himself sometimes is okay, but, you know, he still ain't got to holler at us. You know, he can be articulate, but, you know, that's his thing. That's his trademark. I know it's not going away. So, uh, dude on Saturday Night Live is making fun of him, and, as you know, he's, done, he's got him down pat. But, you know, you can you can enunciate and, and pronounce well without just yelling, but, you know, that's, you know, whatever. Um but see, I can't I can't handle the two of them together. I can't I can't do first take. But uh, yeah, like you said, it is just trying to drum up stuff to just you know get reviewed and get people to watch things like that. And yeah, you know. And I mean, it's working. People watch it, you know. And you know, it, it creates a stir. Skip will say something off the wall just to get the reaction, and it is working. So you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, uh, and, and that's the thing. I, I'm not a big first take fan because of just the relentless nature of number one, how Skip Bayless goes after LeBron James and this mythical clutch gene. 
Um, I'm not a fan of how they literally pushed Tim Tebow down our throats. Uh, right. It just and like that's why I said the echo chamber on ESPN. You know, you'll have they'll have one of their talking heads make a statement on SportsCenter, and then that statement is debated the next day on all their platforms. It's written about on ESPN.com, and ESPN being as powerful as it is, they they push the national discussion. And what happens is if enough of these uh, media types are saying the same kind of thing, you even doubt what you're seeing. Even though right. we see what LeBron James can do on the basketball court, which is everything, we start thinking, well, does he have a clutch gene? And it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Right. I mean, no. the thing about sports, and, you know, we talked about this earlier with our guest, is there's 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 some randomness to it. A shot going in, a shot not going in. Winning and losing has nothing to do with the kind of person you are. There have been great humanitarians, great players that have never won a championship, a team sport, and there have been nefarious individuals that have won all kinds of things in a team sport. So, and, and I've talked about this before, in this environment, when a team loses, we, we want to blame somebody. We want to hold somebody accountable. You know, there's some moral failing that the losers had that the winners somehow had. When it basically turns into, hey, you know, sometimes you just have better players or sometimes you just have a bad day. That is how it works. That's how it works in life. That That's how it works in sports. And I think just this, where we've got to draw these lines and losers and winners, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely Ridiculous. Uh, you know, and I know, it, you know, I kind of blame it on Michael Jordan. And, of course, you know, never losing a, a finals and this, that, and the other. Well, that that's really the exception because all the other great players, they, they lost. I mean, it, it, it happens. Shots don't go in. You know, people get it. I mean, there's just so much randomness to to winning sometimes that I just don't think we – allow for that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it is uh, the exception to the rule of MJ to win every final series uh, that he's ever been in. You know, to go 6-0. Uh, Tim Duncan was very close to being the only other in my opinion, elite franchise player. Uh, he was a hair away from being 5-0 in the finals, uh, but all the other guys, Magic lost to Bird, Bird lost to Magic, um, you know, the Pistons lost to the Lakers, um, Dr. J lost to the Lakers, uh, Jerry West lost to the Celtics, Bill Russell lost to one adult to the same with Hawks and Hawks in it. I think the Lakers may have gotten what everybody, every other elite player, you know, transcending top 50 player that's been to the finals multiple times, has uh, has lost. I mean, Lajuan lost early in his career with the Rockets. Uh, David Robinson won two and zero. I mean, if you want to make him the exception, but as far as this being the real exception, except the rule, 
No, it is Michael Jordan. It's, Columbia has come out with a lot of confidence. They punched Kentucky in the mouth. It's not a nothing. So uh, they, they spotted him on the line and caught nine left in the league right quick. So we'll see how Kentucky responds. A couple turnovers, a couple breakaway buckets for the Columbia Lions, and Kentucky just get on the board. And they're doing a good job of blocking out right now as well. We'll see what's going on. 15 minutes left. And Kentucky still looking for the first minute. Yeah, uh, and, and that's one of those things. I, I, I've said that the one thing that would worry me currently about this team would be complacency and, and urgency. Not so much against the Texases and Kansas and Louisville and Carolina, but against a team like this. Now, will the Cats come back and win? I believe so. But you don't want to go on the road you know, those late January, early February conference games, and you don't want a team, you know, that's better than uh, Columbia is to get out to a lead, uh, and then you find yourself kind of scrambling, getting out of your uh, rhythm. That would be the one thing that I would caution against as far as a, you know, an undefeated season or anything like that. Right. And that's when, you know, you are heavily favored, you don't want to give them confidence. You know, Kentucky's giving them confidence. They're believing, of course. They're fired up. Their they're bench players are clapping on the sideline. The five out there on the floor are feeling good about themselves because, you know, one good play is led to another good play. Uh, Harrison finally gets a uh, – Aaron gets a play up in the hand one opportunity. Um, a couple drives for the kids. They just went in trying to get fouls, you know, throwing something up. And, you know, wasn't getting the call. And, you know, you got to go in a little bit harder than that with a little more uh, better intention into determination. Uh, but they got that first bucket now, got a chance for a three-point play. Uh, didn't come with the intensity that they should have. And we'll see if they wrap things up, you know, when we come back from March to 11-3. But we see this in March Madness all the time. That's how upsets are made. That's how elite hobbies do. That's how Hampton beat Iowa State back in 98-99 with that Marcus Pfizer. You know, the little guy just keeps on believing, and the, the favorite team doesn't do anything to change that. And next thing you know, 40 minutes are coming and gone, and the game's over, and you're going home. So, you know, like you said, you don't, you don't want to see Kentucky fool around with teams like this the way they've done in the first four minutes of this game. Right. You, you definitely don't want to, to see this. Uh, you don't want to see this happen. So uh, I, I think they'll get it together. Uh, I'm not – I trust Cal, so I'm not going to jump on the uh, on the bandwagon, uh, you know, the panic bandwagon just yet. But uh, right. they'll, they'll be around. But we'll, we'll keep folks posted uh, throughout the game, you know, as we uh, head to the 8 o'clock hour here in the east. Uh, one yeah. thing that uh, – Michelle, uh, forever uh, Big Blue, uh, kind of shot to us was the fact that uh, now it appears Indiana and Louisville are looking to to play an, a game at a neutral site. The um, um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the arena in Indianapolis. Well, Lucas Oil Stadium. Lucas Oil Stadium. There you go. Thank you. I'm getting old here. Uh, but at least I'm not stumbling over names like I did last week. But, uh, hey, man, 
You're three months older than me. That's it. But that's, don't be talking like that. You scare me.
So we got the length and size and bulk, a combination of all of it. When you look at all the Kentucky pigs, uh, the car he can lean on him some. Carl Towns weighs just as much, weighs more, and his forage is taller. Uh, Willie's length can bother him. Uh, even, you know, Poitras is a beast of the stud at 6'8 itself in his ribs. Uh, he can bulk up and muscle up a little bit. Uh, Loud might be a little too light, but there's a lot of different looks that Kentucky can give him and, you know, focus on keeping him off of the glass. Uh, he got a lot of little dunks last night, uh, a lot of stuff like that on the offensive glass. So, yeah, Kentucky's able to negate that. And, you know, him being, if you do like the old New England Patriots, take away the first option, that would be what you want to kind of neutralize. Yeah, and uh, I'm not saying UK will win by 40, but I, I think they, they still win uh, that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we got to, um, you know, definitely focus now. We've talked about it a little bit, hit and miss throughout the season. But now we've got us a Final Four in college football. You know, the polls have been coming out for several weeks, but, you know, they've been fluid. Teams go and come and move and rise and fall. But now the Final Four is set. You know, Dr. Pepper Larry, you know, his idea, according to the commercial, he's been telling everybody the college playoff was his idea. His idea is reality now. Uh, we got Alabama and o- Ohio State, the one versus four matchup, and then the two versus three with Oregon and Florida State. So, what are your thoughts on how the, the Final Four uh, was put together, and how do you think those games play out? Well, I think, I mean, you, you, you've got, I mean, this this Final Four is kind of like, was it ninety? I'm trying to think one what year it was. We had like Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky all in the Final Four at the same time. I mean, you've got you've got some real blue bloods there, uh, you know, in this Final Four. You know, a lot of people wanted to count out Alabama, uh, saying Nick Saban had had lost a step, but. Here they are right back in it with an opportunity to add to their trophy case. My one kind of concern for Ohio State is they're bringing in a new quarterback. And how, you know, do they simplify the game plan? Do You know, what do they do to kind of protect the new quarterback? But and they've got some time between now and those games. But I think that's got to be a thought that, you know, Nick Saban kind of licking his defensive chops you know, having a, a a guy back there with his first start. Uh, I think Alabama wins because I, I think that Amari Cooper and a strong defense and, and really a strong running game keeps Alabama uh, marching on. Mm. With I Oregon think... versus Florida – I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead and do the other two. Yeah, my fault. Well, I was – Oregon versus Florida State, I mean, this one – I think this one may end up to be pretty high scoring. We may be looking at a game in the 40s with both sides, Uh, with Oregon still fast-paced offense. And, uh, you know, with Florida State, my one concern with Florida State would be they have lived by the edge 
on the edge for so long, you know, trailing Louisville deep into the fourth quarter and then other games the same kind of way and not really putting Georgia Tech away in the ACC championship game. My concern is that if they get behind against Oregon, would they be able to kind of mount that that charge? And I I don't think they would be able to do that. So I kind of think Oregon kind of will will come out of that matchup to give us Alabama and Oregon. That, that those are my thoughts. Do you think Florida State, even though they've been you know escaping, should have dropped and been leapfrogged, even though they haven't lost in a couple of years and still defending champs? Do you think they should have been hopped over by a couple of teams? Well, no, no. Uh, you know, college football, it's all, even with the, the Final Four and whatnot, it is still, um, it, it's still a beauty contest. And if you've got a, a power conference team, a defending national champion that is still undefeated, they have to fit in the equation at some point. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of the way it works. Uh not in you know in college anything else basketball baseball but college football it's, it's style points and so I just I don't think you can leave an undefeated team out and put a, a one loss team in you know no matter how good you know the other team's resume is yeah I, and I mean when teams go on runs mm-hmm. when when in any sport college or pro when Teams are in the process of trying to build dynasties. They've become polarizing. You you know, you got the fans that have been fans from the get-go. You have fans that hop on the bandwagon. You have uh, non-fans who want that team to lose, who want to see that team knocked off to see somebody else win. That's always happened. That's happened with the Lakers and all the, you know, handfuls of titles they have, you know, teams. People don't want to see them win. The Celtics the same way, you know. I think, you know, they've won enough. They've won more than their share. Uh, the same thing with USC, with Pete Carroll. There were teams that didn't want to see them win. The same thing with Florida State. I think a lot of it is Jameis Winston fatigue, and he's brought that, you know, on himself, on and off the field. Um you know, he's had, you know, less than judgment indiscretions. Um, we know about everything off the field. But even the little stuff on the field where, I mean, we know he's got a good football IQ. The little stuff the other day where he was pushing the umpire, trying to get him out of the way so he could snap the ball. Stuff like that, I think, is wearing on people. But that said, they're still winning and they haven't been knocked off. You know, the old wrestling phrase, to beat a man, you got to beat the man. I think Rick Flair said that. Nobody has beaten him yet. You know, to be the champs, you got to beat the champs. And that's what we're waiting on. So they still should have, you know, kept the number one spot, as Ludacris wrapped about a few years ago, because nobody's beaten them yet. I haven't said all that. I think uh, Alabama will, you know, probably beat Ohio State. The way everybody outside of Columbus hoped Michigan State and Wisconsin would have, um, they're on the third-string quarterback, which, you know, uh, Urban Meyer's a great coach. We saw him bring the second-string quarterback in after Braxton Miller got hurt. 
and, you know, successfully coach him up. And, you know, they've, you know, been on the tear ever since. We saw this third-string guy come in and, and have a good game in his first time out. Uh, this time off will help him get some reps in practice, but he's still going up against Alabama. He hasn't seen anything like that. And like you said, give saving time to prepare. I think Alabama, you know, does give by Ohio State. But I think, you know, that's what everybody wanted to see, the blue blood stuff. Um, and on the side note, TCU and Baylor getting overlooked. You know, to me, the Big 12 should have a, title, a championship game. That's kind of, you know, whether it's an extra hurdle to get through to make it or not. So be it. They should have had a title game that may have helped them out. Um, and on the other game, Oregon and Florida State, I think Florida State finds a way one more time to to beat Oregon. Um, they they might finally come to play in the first quarter. I think it is a bit of a track meet, but I believe they they can you know be physical with Oregon if need be and slow them down just enough to pull out uh, a high scoring shootout type win. And then that gives us Alabama and Florida State, which. Whew, to me, you can about flip a coin. Um, if as far as those two, oh man! But I would have to go with Alabama, just you know, finding a way to out find a way to beat Florida State. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Alabama. I'm gonna go with the number one seed in the first ever college final four. So you got. Uh, Alabama winning the whole thing? Yeah, I got them uh, edging Florida State in the championship game. I got them winning as well because uh, I think what we'll see is a, a, a kind of uh, a repeat of Oregon versus uh, Auburn a couple of years ago. I, I, until I see a finesse team, kind of what Oregon is, beat an SEC team, I'm still not convinced. You know, I know Florida State beat Auburn last year, but, you know, that came down to the wire, you know, tremendous throw, tremendous play by Jameis Winston. But it, it wasn't as if, you know, Auburn was blown off the field as the SEC has done uh, previously to teams. So until I see that, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to lean SEC. I'm going to be a homer. Yeah, I kind of, I'm not a homer a lot, but I kind of am in this case, too, for the SEC. And Florida State, if we're being honest, they're probably about as close to an SEC team as you can get that's not in the SEC. When we know the SEC talked to them a few times about joining the league down through the years. Um, they kind of fit that mold, you know, Athletes all over the field, defensive speed everywhere, guys that can flat-out run. Um, and same thing offensively. They play physical. They play mean, um, which is why I kind of still give them that edge over Oregon, even though Oregon, you know, has that high-powered offense. Uh, we've seen, you know, up this year, notwithstanding, you know, Stanford always gives Oregon fits because Stanford, it lines up and hits you in the mouth. You know, they line up with that power, you know, two tight ends, eye formation, you know, big, rugged defensive guys 
and as fast and speedy as Oregon is, you know, David Shaw has kind of been a thorn in Oregon's side, you know, throughout his time there. You know, Harbaugh was kind of the same way before he left. David Shaw picked it up and, and kept it going. So I, I give Florida State the nod over Oregon just for that reason because Florida State can get kind of mean and nasty and push them around uh, if when push comes to shove, so to speak. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I definitely agree. Uh, football is still it's still one between the tackles, and I think that some of those teams, particularly out west, that you know score that score a lot. You know, they don't necessarily have the uh, the offense, the, the 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 personnel to grind out a game. And as we've seen, you know, bowl games, these championships, they're grind them out. You have really got to. You've got to fight for every yard, and I don't know that. Uh, I, I just don't know that Oregon's got it. I mean, they could surprise me, but I'm still going to go with with Bama. Yeah, yeah, I am too. Uh, until somebody knocks them off, and and like you said, with Auburn last year, you know, the SEC string of titles came to an end. But I mean, you know, Auburn was taking it to Florida State. And, you know, Florida State, had they made a heck of a throw to get down the field and get in position. But before they got that drive started, you know, back on their side of the ball, the Auburn defensive back gambles on a throw, doesn't make it, and that allows Florida State to have a huge run after the catch to get down there. I, if he played solid and just, you know, make the tackle where they catch it. I wonder if Florida State still they might still make the drive to win. But that really helped them out. And you can't you can't take anything away from them because they won it. But Auburn Auburn was set up to to keep the SEC string of titles, SEC conference I'm sorry, yeah, SEC championship strings going. Uh they just fell a little bit short. But uh, yeah, I think Alabama gets it back. Much of the chagrin of Auburn fans, but you know, the rest of the SEC We'll be happy because you know the championship is back in the Southeastern Conference. Exactly, exactly. So, I, I, you know, there's talk of expanding to eight, but I think you'd have to take away a regular season game from from some of these teams. I just don't think we want to get to the point where college football. It's just like the NFL where they're playing 16 games or more. I'm not sure that that's a trade-off that folks want to make. Yeah. If it did go to eight, I'd see that to at least no more. I mean, that way you get all the the conference champs and a couple at-larges or whatever, however you want to split it up. I'd be fine if it was eight. But uh, that's got to be the cutoff point. If they don't ever move to eight, that's fine. But if it, if it moves to eight, I'm, I'm fine either way. <clears throat> We're going to watch no matter what. But uh, if it's four, if it's eight, that's good to go. But surely, goodness, that'll be the end of it. Because, like you said, there's always going to be, you know, team five or team nine that's upset. You know, whoever just misses is going to have a beef, and it's always going to be the case. Exactly. And, man, we got I just want to let you know. 
uh, we do not have to talk about NFL on tonight's show, okay? Hey, well, you know, that's that's where I was going next, you know, because you know how we do, you know how we roll. <laughs> you know how we roll. Um, I mean, well, I felt a little pain for you um, because, well, we talked NFL last week after, you know, the horrible Thursday both of us had. And, you know, we we asked who your favorite team was playing, and you told me to raise it. I went, oh, okay, all right, no no big deal, good, good. Because, you know, they just got beat 62 to nothing by the Rams. And so, I mean, I knew y'all were going to get healthy. I know it's the Bay Area rivalry and all that. But, my goodness, after the first half, I think I tweeted out, you know, the Raiders are showing that you can throw the records out in the Bay Area rivalry. Kind of like, you know, Kentucky football when, you know, we would play Tennessee close for years and years and years. You know, get a lead at halftime or in the third quarter, and then, you know, Tennessee will wake up and assert themselves and finally win. I kept thinking San Francisco, yeah, they're going to wake up and let the Raiders know they're still the Raiders. And... It just did not happen. You know, Oakland won 24-13. I know you already know that. Um, I did feel a little bit sorry for you. I can't ever feel sorry for the 49ers, but, you know, unbelievable <laughs> what happened in Oakland. Unbelievable. Well, I was actually following that game at the when I was at the uh, Kentucky Eastern game, and it was uh, – I was excited because I was thinking before the game, this is the kind of game you need to get back on track. This is what the 49ers need to kind of, as I was talking about, you know, Derek Willis, who I think is struggling a little bit tonight, but you need to see uh, the ball go through. You need to get some success. Um, It's at the point now where, you know, a lot of Niners fans, do you you blow this team up? Do you let Harbaugh potentially go to to Michigan and, and that kind of thing? This was the one thing I was kind of worried about with Harbaugh is when you have a guy that's set on 10 all the time, it's good short-term, but long-term, do the players start to tune you out? Does the staff start to tune you out? Do you start to grate on people if everything is a 10? And I think that is – kind of where we are. Uh, for whatever reason, when you look at the, the pieces of the offense, they should be better than they are. And to not be able to score points with this talent is an issue. It, it's a definite issue. Uh, and I knew the defense would take a step back with all the injuries, but they're dropping games that they shouldn't drop. I mean, losing to the Raiders, that's 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 inexcusable. So, this off season, uh, I don't know. They've, they've got to make some changes. I don't think right now. I'm pretty much convinced they're not going to the playoffs this year uh, for the first time in a couple of years. So it, it's time to, to regroup because I think with the players they have, the window I think is still open. Uh, but you got to make some changes to kind of get over that hump as well. Right, right, and. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 definitely a head scratcher. Um, 
Kaepernick's taking a little bit of heat because, you know, people think he's taking some steps back. Uh, Harbaugh being a quarterback guy, taking heat for not being able to kind of tweak him or fix him and get him back on track. So, and, yeah, it's just kind of wanting a lot of things need to be fixed and haven't been able to, to quite get them all lined out. Kind of all season, right? Yeah, um, you know, you know, after the three straight years of championship games, Super Bowl championship games, I think a lot of us figured there would be that leap. They would come out, hit the ground running. They knew that they had to get home field away from Seattle. Uh, you know, and after the first game against your Cowboys, you know, uh, myself and other 49ers were kind of thinking, hey, this is a 13-14 win team. Uh, but it just hasn't come to pass. Yeah, because at that point it was, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be fine. They're gonna get Alden Smith back. At that point, we're hoping Bowman would come back too. Correct? When they were expecting him to to make a return, so they come out and play well. All the defensive pieces were gonna eventually fall back into place. Of course, Smith comes back, you lose Willis. Uh, Vernon Davis hasn't really been much of a factor. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, and like you said, Harbaugh is wound kind of tight, to say the least. So, you know, Jerry Rice tweeted, Jerry Rice said a long time ago he thought he was gone. said that a few weeks ago. That's your guy. I didn't know if that was this kind of former player being frustrated or, but it looks like it might play out to be that way. Uh, you know, Michigan hasn't hired a coach yet. I don't know if you want to go back to college or not. I, I mean, you think NFL guy wants to stay up there. You don't have to recruit around the clock. And, you, you know, you get paid more to do less from that standpoint. But you don't know what happens when these final three weeks play out. Well, you know, I've, I've read some behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, about Harbaugh in the in the front office, and I, I just wouldn't be surprised if he if he was gone at the end of the year. Uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, Golden State Warriors owner talking about what happened with Mark Jackson. You know, Mark Jackson had the uh, Warriors in the playoffs back to back years, a rarity for them, and and looking really good with young talent, and yet they made a change in the off season uh, because apparently he didn't get along with with anybody else within the organization. And I I think that it could possibly be that point with, with Harbaugh. Uh, Even though they're professionals and, and, and all that, you know, we touched on this earlier, you've got to have skills to get along, you know, in this world, you got to be able to deal with people, Uh, you know, and how do you treat people quote unquote below you on the, on the totem pole at your work says a lot. And if you're grading on the staff and grading on the players, it may be time to make a move. Yeah, yeah, and you know that that can sometimes override all the success the team is having. And if it doesn't override it, like in the case of Mark Jackson, you know he was still having success. It eats away at everything to the point that you know. The ownership is willing to part ways anyway. So, yeah, that's kind of 
kind of looks like what has happened. Yeah, that, that's the that's the thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know what what they do next, but with the talent they have, the window you have to win in the NFL is only open for so long. Yeah. And speaking of, of coaching changes, there was a lot going on uh, in college. Uh, Florida, you know, of course, decided to part ways with Will Muschamp. They announced that a few weeks ago. He finished out the season uh, with the season finale against Florida State. Uh, Florida ends up hiring Jim McElwain, former Alabama offensive coordinator, former head coach at Colorado State. Um, and then, of course, Nebraska made a move and didn't bring Bo Pelini back, and they end up with Mike Riley from Oregon State. But what do you think of those two uh, coaching vacancies and, and who they end up getting to fill those spots? Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, I think the Florida job, it, it, it's 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 like any other top tier job. It's part coaching, part you know everything else, and and sometimes you you really don't know how these guys are going to do until they sit at the big at the big table. I'm not sure that you know if you had success at this level, it means success that automatically means success at the the next level. So you know it's like you know Charlie Strong to Texas. Got to give it a couple years before you know you really can 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 judge, you know, good hire, bad hire. Uh, very few situations are like, you know, he who shall not be named uh, for Michelle, where you kind of know right <laughs> out of the gate this is a poor this is a poor fit. Uh, you know, very rare is that. So it'll take some time. Yeah, I <clears throat> I must admit I was kind of surprised that at both of them. And, you know, surprised that McElwain, Florida, really, really wanted him. I was surprised that Riley went to Nebraska. I mean, I know McElwain was at Alabama for a long time. But even when he was there, I mean, I know they had good offenses. But he, to me, wasn't really the most popular coordinator. You always heard about uh, Kirby Smart, the defensive coordinator. I mean, he, he was always more so on the TV getting airtime. Of Saban's assistant, you know, McAway has moved on and doing his thing. Colorado State is ten and two this season, um, but before before this season, he had a losing record coming into this season. I mean, he turned it around this year, and uh, you know, had a had a strong year, and has become a hot commodity. But I was I was kind of like wow surprised to see that Florida would make such a run at him, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. Of course, you know they kind of go how you know hires traditionally go. They just replaced uh, Muschamp with the defensive guy with McElwain, who was an offensive guy, and of course Muschamp replaced Urban, who was an offensive guy. So we get the switch in you know philosophy and you know the type of mind that you have coaching teams as far as that goes. So we'll see what he can do now that he's a head coach and a premier spot in the SEC. And as far as Riley at Nebraska, I don't know if if they maybe wanted a bigger name or not, but I'm 
I'm just kind of like, mm, oh, hum, oh, hum, oh, well. I don't know if what Nebraska fans think of that or if they maybe thought that they could get somebody else. But both of them, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But I was just kind of, eh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens with those two jobs. And, of course, uh, Michigan is still available. And uh, we definitely want to see how the dominoes continue to fall. Exactly, exactly. That's the that's the key. Uh, is, is you know, you know, Michigan, you know, top five jobs, as you can see, not for everybody. And I, I think it's kind of the curse of when you look at you know Michigan's program and Nebraska's program. Nebraska hasn't been quite right since they let Frank Solich go. You know, he finished, you know, eight or nine win season. They let him go, and they've they've kind of hit tough times because the assumption was, you know, Nebraska should win 11 games every year. You look at Michigan, Lloyd Carr, you know, basically kind of pushed out the door because he was only, you know, eight, nine wins a year. Uh, sometimes it's one of those, you know, you've got a very good coach, but there's not a lot of great coaches out there so just be careful what you what you look what you what you what you want. Yeah, and a similar thing with with Phil former Tennessee. You know he was he had slipped a little bit from the title of '98 to uh, winning seven, eight, you know, nine games a year. There was a couple of losing seasons in there, uh, and they've made a change and have went through you know Lane Kiffin and Derek Dooley and now Bush Jones. So yeah, you're right about that. As far as Tolini, uh he had won like, nine games every year that he was there. But a lot of the things that you mentioned about Mark Jackson or Canada, the same things that were with him, just the interactions with people, the relationships, the alienating the fan base, you know, his higher-ups. Uh, he had been caught kind of off the record, but on the record, you know, taking shots at the fans that were kind of recorded. And then it got leaked out, and, you know, no, he really wasn't able to overcome that. You know, uh, people weren't that fond of him for a lot of the same time of his temperament and his personality. Once you, like, as you mentioned, all components of being a grown-up that he wasn't really that strong in. The off-the-field stuff was kind of getting on people's nerves with him, and that kind of led to them making a change. You know, they weren't winning nine games a year. They probably in their mind they still want to get Nebraska back to what it was, you know, with Tom Osborne where they were winning ten, eleven, twelve games a year. That might not happen again, uh, with the parity in college football. But the fact that Fellini was uh had a lot of fractured relationships and a lot of friction and strife and things of that nature, you know, that that didn't help his case either. Exactly. Exactly. And with football being so diversified now, you just can't stockpile like you did way back when. And, uh, you know, with Nebraska, it's kind of like uh, Kentucky as, as much as the high schools aren't exactly producing enough quality Division One talent, so you've got to bring some guys in. And in Nebraska, you know, like Notre Dame – even Michigan, it's it's not a destination place anymore for some of these young kids. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Michigan is definitely that way, too. And it's not the same 
as when, you know, we were, you know, teenagers and even young adults in our 20s watching. Uh, and that's evident in no place more than the Ohio State, you know, Michigan rivalry. To me, that was, I mean, we talked last week about all the rivalries. Um, and there it says Gary Anderson is leaving Wisconsin to take the Oregon State job. So speaking of dominoes falling, that just popped up at halftime of UK Columbia. So Mike Riley goes to Nebraska. Gary Anderson leaves Wisconsin to go to Oregon State. So there's that. Um, but, you know, I'm not a Big Ten guy. Of course, I'm an SEC guy. But the Ohio State-Michigan game used to be used to be good. I mean, you know, you had Eddie George up there, uh, you know, uh, Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson. That was that was a good rivalry. You knew it was going to be a good game. And, you know, I'm not a Big Ten guy. But that rivalry is so one-sided now because Michigan has fallen so far. Um, and, you know, it was it didn't work out when Rich Rodriguez went there. You know, Brady Hoke, a Michigan man, looked like he was a good fit coming from San Diego State where he had done well and looked to appear to be ready to step up to that Michigan job, but it just it just didn't work. It was more than he could handle, and now they're having to make a change again. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny how things change and cycles take place. You know, a few years from now, Michigan could have the upper hand on Ohio State again, but it's going to be a while before that happens. And, and, and that's the thing is, you know, uh, we've touched on it before, is the wrong hire can really set your program back, especially in football. I mean, you miss out on, you know, two or three cycles of recruiting, and your program is set back years. It take, it's going to take a while to recover. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see who Michigan gets to kind of fill that void. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and, of course, it's halftime of the Kentucky-Columbia game. Columbia leads 25-23. Uh, the Cats are 9-27 from the field, TB, for 33.3%. Uh, Columbia is 9-24 for 37.5%. And the thing that jumped out to me is Columbia's hanging on the board. Kentucky's up by two. Total rebound, 17-15. to 15. Uh, two, point, uh, two rebound edge on the glass. What is jumping out at you from the first 20 minutes of tonight's game against the Columbia Lions from the Big Apple? Uh, complacency. Uh, I think that the the lineup changes have, have kind of hurt a little bit. Uh, of course, the the Cats will right the ship. Uh, they'll they'll figure it out. But uh, I mean, it was just an ugly half of basketball, and it's going to happen. Uh, Cal said it after the, the Boston University game. These guys aren't robots. They're not going to go out like it's a video game and, you know, every night and, and perform, you know, lights out. So um, I think Cal and, and the coaches, I think they make their adjustments and the Cats win going away. But uh, this just needs to, to serve as a wake-up point for the Cats that, uh, hey, you, you've got to bring your game every night. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it. And and these these points, these wake up points. You know, they've been in some close games at the half. Texas, you know, made them play a full forty minute game. Um, we'll see how to let the next twenty minutes here play out. Um, 
but there's still, even though they're winning and may win going away, there's still going to be plenty for the coaches to see or, you know, kind of isolate and fine-tune. So, yeah, that'll, that'll be plenty to keep them motivated and, or, you know, teaching points, as they like to say. Right, and that's, and that's what you're kind of looking for. I, I've said it, I'll keep saying it, that I think the complacency and will probably be the biggest issue uh, with this team. So, uh, you know, get this ugly, ugly play out of the, uh, out of the, uh, out of your system and come back. Uh, the biggest thing I'm kind of noticing is the offense is really struggling. The half court offense. There's got to be some continuity. Uh, we should be seeing some different things. I think at this point in the season. But it, you know what? I've got I've got faith in Cal. I'm pretty sure that uh, you know he'll figure this out. I don't think he forgot how to coach, so I'm oh, right. confident yeah. that, uh, that that we'll we'll get it we'll get it figured out. Absolutely, absolutely. Coming up on the final few minutes of the show, of course, we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, Cast talk with Vinny and Terry on BlockTalkRadio dot com, Brown and Hardy Radio Network. Uh, we enjoy VJ Stanley being on, of course. Uh, TV, I definitely want to talk about the UK Hoopcats, Matthew Mitchell Company. Were just in your city and left Louisville with a win over the Lady Card, and that you know makes the fourth straight time, you know, as we you know begin the Kentucky Louisville rivalry on the court. As you know, the the men will play them here at the end of December. The ladies went in there and moved on to eight and one, and got another win against the hated Louisville Cardinals. Yeah, uh, and before I forget. Uh, Coach Lipschitz of the women's soccer team also reminded me that the women's soccer team is also on a four-game win streak against Louisville as well. The most interesting thing to me about this is Jeff Walls, the Louisville women's soccer coach, and you know they've been to a couple of Final Fours and championship game, uh, but post game a little a little short uh, because he said that Coach, Coach Mitchell Mitchell. Uh, would trade that win to appear in a Final Four. And I talked to, uh, oh, I can't remember her name, uh, right for the Herald Leader, uh, Jen for the Herald Leader, I'll look it up. Uh, but I talked oh, to her Jen Smith. about it. Jen Smith. Jen Smith, yes. Try to get some context. You know, was he asked the question? Was it just, you know, as coaches sit down, they make their, uh, you know, they make their, their posting uh, comments, right, when they sit down? And her thing was it's kind of been a theme that he's had previously. And I, I just think that's a bad look because, you know, uh, I just don't see that flying, you know, if if Cal would say that after a game or something like that. So I thought that was a little a little cheap, but, uh, you know, that's what makes the rivalry great. He said that Coach Mitchell acted like they won the Final Four. Is that what you said? Well, he would trade the win over Louisville to appear in a Final Four. Uh, and I, I just, oh, okay, 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 oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. It, and it just wow. seemed it just seemed a little a little cheap uh, yeah. to me, especially because the the Kentucky women's program, although they haven't cracked the Final Four yet, you know, three four years in a row of being the Elite Eight. 
So it's not as if they're an also-ran program, but right. uh, it, it just it just seemed a little cheap to me. Yeah, that's, you know that's that is. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean you you just lost to Kentucky, and he wants to throw out the fact that he's been to the Final Four, and and Kentucky hasn't yet. Yeah, that is, you know. That's a little childlike. But because you know. here's my thing: if if Louisville beats Kentucky on December 27th, and if Cal came out and said, "Hey, we lost, but I bet Rick would trade this game to beat us in the tournament," people would be outraged. People would be upset about how classless Cal is. So that's the only thing I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm saying about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that that's kind of I'm taking my ball and I'm going home with attitude from Coach Walls. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, well. And speaking of Coach Lipson, please, I'd definitely like to try to get him on the show at some point. And uh, he followed the show you know, on Twitter, and we definitely appreciate that. And I have to try to work it out to get him on to talk some soccer and drop some knowledge on me, a casual soccer fan, but you a little more knowledgeable than I, but yeah, maybe we can work that out at some point too. We'd love to have him on. Oh, definitely. Definitely. We'll, we'll definitely work on that. Most definitely. Oh, <clears throat> and as far as, oh, I, we did talk NFL, but hadn't talked my Cowboys yet. I, I mean, we got the Eagles, I just had them a week and a half ago. And they absolutely did whatever they wanted to down in Dallas. Uh, the, Cow- the Cowboys were a couple steps behind. You know, they were playing catch-up defensively all game long. Um, you know, LaShawn McCoy went crazy. Sanchez had a good game. The scary thing to me, Darren Sproles didn't even really do anything and didn't have to. Um but, you know, they still just kind of ran down as ragged. We saw what Seattle was able to go to Philadelphia and do as it looks like they're getting their defense primed and ready for a, a good playoff run where they went in there and just pretty much stomped Philadelphia out and shut down, you know, everything. One of Philadelphia's scores came on a botched punt that gave Philadelphia's offense the ball, you know, inside of, Seattle red zone, so, you know, they gave up a touchdown there off a turnover. Other than that, Philadelphia didn't do much of anything, and, you know, that's the first real big-time defense Sanchez saw. He's not going to see that defense when Dallas goes up to Philadelphia. I know they rested off of the bye because they played Thursday, which was almost kind of like a mini-bye. They beat Chicago last Thursday. They played two Thursday games in a row. Played Philadelphia Thanksgiving. Played Chicago last Thursday. Uh, they're going to be, they're no doubt, one to uh, get revenge for what happened. But I just got a bad feeling that they're not going to be able to. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm not a Cowboys fan. Just me calling it like I see it, calling it like I feel. This game is for first place in the NFC East. It's a little earlier than normal. The past three years, Dallas has been in the winner go home game. At the end of the season, they've been eight and seven in all three of those games, and at the end of those games, they've been eight and eight. 
They already have nine wins, so they've exceeded my expectations. They've got a winning record. That's great. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be hard to beat them up in Philadelphia after coming off of a loss the way they lost to Seattle. Is all I'm saying. Now, I hope they prove me wrong, but that's all I'm saying. It's going to be hard to beat Philly up there when they just got smacked by Seattle. You know what I mean? And, you know, the NFC East is up for grabs. It's going to be tough. Yeah, going up to Philadelphia and playing, it's going to be tough. But I remember those old uh, NFC NFC East matchup games. Yeah, I expect a a good game. Uh, Your Cowboys have have really surprised me this year. Yeah, they surprised me too. And, I mean, they got a – and Marco Murray is showing to be proven to be up for it, you know, 1,100-yard rushing game. Oh, they're going to have to kind of lean on him a lot, a little ball control, keep Sanchez and those guys off the field. Um, if the defense plays better, I mean, they could make him look uh, a little more mortal instead of off to the good start he was. We saw what Seattle was able to do. I'm not saying Dallas defense is Seattle, but if they can't slow him down, then the offense needs to – have some long drives to to keep those guys on the bench so that they can stay in it. But uh, a steady diet to Marco Murray can help that. And then, you know, we've seen the success that Romo's had on play action uh, to Jason Witten and Des Bryant and even Terrence Williams, uh, the second receiver. And Cole Beasley's been getting a few touches on the slot as well, kind of doing that little Wes Welker-Edelman thing. So, you know, I just wanted to be in this game because the game in Dallas wasn't even close. Phil uh, Deffy came in and took Dallas out of it fairly quickly. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens this coming Sunday night. Yeah, I'm definitely going to tune in and watch. Man, we have another another good show. I apologize, everybody, from my squeaky, high-pitched, horrible-sounding voice. Um, if you missed any of this episode of the Cats Talk with Benny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, you can catch it all on the podcast um, right here at blogtalkradio.com slash Cats Talk. It'll be available. You can download it, catch what you missed. If you want to hear it all, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, we appreciate it. You can always find us here every Wednesday, 6 to 8. Appreciate VJ Stanley coming in uh, from frozenshorts.com and giving us all kinds of insights about preventing injuries in youth sports. Uh, definitely look forward to having him on. And uh, he tweeted yeah. at us, and he enjoyed coming on the show. So, TB, uh, appreciate you dropping your knowledge. Appreciate you soapboxing. And That's look right. forward to watching <laughs> the second half of this game, too, man, see what happens with Columbia. Exactly, exactly. I think it's getting ready to tip off, so we will slide off and, and watch this game and, and hopefully the Cats pull it out. I mean, if they're going to hit 80 points, they're going to have to score 60 this half. So I think both of us yeah. kind of already underestimated that. Yeah, as Columbia hits another three. Um, but join us again this time next week on Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry uh, TV. I appreciate you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you, I'll holler at you for uh, messing with me on Twitter. I got a little tweet that I hadn't been talking to you about. I'm going to have a little fun with you on that next week. If I remember, I meant to say something to you today. We'll try to get to it next week, man. Everybody have a good night. We'll talk to y'all later, Big Blue Nation. See you next week.